0: Hello and welcome to another episode episode 13 of One Man Watchpoint an Overwatch podcast I am of course your host Sir Dr J M You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at SirDrJM, where you can follow me. And, of course, you can find this podcast on Apple Podcast Services, as well as Spotify and Google Podcast Services. If you're new around here, this is, of course, an Overwatch podcast where we look at everything going on in the wonderful world of Overwatch. Generally speaking, we like to cover the news as it relates to Overwatch, Overwatch 2, and the Overwatch League. We then look at the previous week's matches in the Overwatch League, and of course we close out the show by looking at the upcoming matches in the Overwatch League. Now, as of late, we actually have a special segment of the show that I like to tack on to the end if we have time, and uh, right now we're calling that the Vancouver Titans Watch 2020. However, before we get to that, we should do the rest of the show. So without further ado, I'm going to dive right into the news because we actually have a fair amount of news to cover. Um, And actually, we also have some late-breaking news that uh, came out today that has the potential to uh, definitely shake up the wonderful world of Overwatch. So without further ado, let's dive into the news. Now, my first news story comes from Rachel Samples at dotesports.com and it reads like this: Communication Wheel Customization Priority Queuing System headed to Overwatch. In a developer update today, Overwatch game director Jeff Kaplan broke down a long list of changes coming to Overwatch, including updates to the communication wheel and a new priority queuing system. I should mention this article is from last week, April 23rd, so when it says a new developer update today, I mean April 23rd, so not today. But anyways, I digress. The article continues. Blizzard Entertainment is adding new ways for players to communicate using Overwatch's in-game communication wheel. The developer worked with Overwatch's cast of voice voice actors, to create spoken lines for each of the game's 32 heroes. These callouts range from a simple goodbye or sorry to a numbered countdown for players to further collaborate their efforts in a match. Players will be able to customize their communication wheel under the control settings in the option menu. Once the communication changes go live, players can add whichever commands they want to their wheel to be able to quickly use the lines in a match since the introduction of roll queue in august 2019 players have experienced long wait times when queuing for games if a person leaves a match others in that lobby are often kicked to the end of the queue and forced to wait for another extended period of time before joining a second game blizzard plans to fix this issue with a new priority queuing system according to kaplan the system will review a folded competitive match and will ensure that all 11 people who didn't leave the match and didn't cause the match to collapse will be placed back into the queue where they would have been as if the match had never happened. Quote, So it's not going to guarantee that you're instantly going to get another match after that match gets shut down by a lever, but you're not going to have to wait the entire queue time, Kaplan said. The Overwatch game director didn't provide fans with an update for when the priority queuing system will arrive on live servers, but Kaplan said that if Blizzard chooses to not include messaging, a feature he said the team wants to add so players know the queuing system is working, then it may come to the game sooner than expected. Kaplan also said that patch notes will be included in the game starting with an upcoming patch so players can access the list of changes from Overwatch's homepage without having to close the game or visit a webpage. Similarly, more workshop features such as night modes for a game for the game's series of maps will be added in an upcoming patch. So I'm bringing this uh, article up mostly because it wasn't a was a developer update which obviously we typically like to cover because they usually have uh, if not some great information in them they have some nuggets about things or upcoming changes or even overwatch 2 oftentimes but in this case I wanted to bring this up because I think both of these changes uh, will definitely have a positive effect on the game Um, you know talking about the latter half there the queuing system definitely will help because um, I know the damage 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 uh, role players typically have a significant wait time or a significant longer wait time when compared to tank and support players. I myself typically play support. however, if I um, you know, if I'm tired of support for whatever reason, I do like to dabble in damage, and I have a few characters I enjoy playing there. So that is definitely a welcomed change. That said, Um, the other thing, the other half of that article, the beginning half is arguably the more exciting one. If you ask me, um, the queue time, like I say, doesn't super affect me just because I typically play support, but I'm sure it'll affect a lot of you out there. Um, so hooray for you, but the communication wheel is something interesting that I think will especially make a, a larger impact on consoles. Again, uh, one of the things I've talked about, uh, enjoying Overwatch's focus on, um is efforts to make sort of their their single um overwatch a platform if you will um, you know bringing the experimental card over to the game so that it allows a lot of the console players to actually experience some of those uh, you know things they're testing or playing around with on the ptr um, even if it's you know a little closer to production than uh, say the ptr is i i definitely have talked about in the past how i think that's a very player positive move um, and I think this is too, because on console per, in particular, I think you find a lot of players not using the um, the, the uh, headset um, and voice communication oftentimes. I know I myself tend not to, I prefer to, you know, rely on someone else to either direct the match over their headset, which oftentimes is, you know, there's only one or two people on console with a headset on, or there's none. And when there's none, you often do run into people who are just dead silent um, when that's the case, I often try to, you know, wrangle them a little bit using the current communication wheel. And honestly, the the two largest uh, or most used commands for me are the group up with me and the acknowledged. Um, acknowledge so that you can, when someone else says group up with me, you can acknowledge it and then go stand with them or wait with them as you regroup kind of thing. And then the uh, group up with me for when people are just rushing in and being idiots like that. So anyways, um, I bring this one up as well with a screenshot that I've got here of uh, what the potential communication wheel could look like. Obviously, they did talk about how there would be a number of customization uh, options you could use here, so certainly this isn't what it would would definitely look like. However, I did see this one floating around on the internet, and you can obviously just go Google uh, Overwatch new communication wheel and go to Google Images and you'll, you'll find some. But, just to look at one here, I see this one has the top option as going in with a little forward facing arrow and then going clockwise. We have countdown with a three. We have defending with a sort of shield and a chest piece, or chest piece, sorry. We have fall back with a couple back arrows. We have go with a couple double forward facing arrows. We have no with an X. We have on my way with a little running boot. And then we have yes with a check mark. So I think that's interesting, um, in particular because you can use the uh, the go and the going in to kind of coordinate an attack a little more, as well as the fallback. Um, the fallback, especially, I think, will will be a helpful one, where um, you know you see a team that doesn't necessarily have all their pieces together, and maybe a fight is falling apart quickly, and especially as a backline healer. Um, you can kind of identify, okay, this fight isn't going the way we want it to. Maybe, you know, we've lost our one or two of our tanks or something like that quickly early on in the fight. We need to fall back and regroup. So, you know, you can definitely use that fall back command to do that kind of thing. Um, on my way as well is a is a good one, I think, for, for certain characters. Um, obviously, if you're rushing back to defend a point or to attack a point in a close fight. But also, I think... Um, That one could be helpful as well for uh, Lucio players or something like that where, um, you know, if you are defending a point and one of your, let's say, your Reinhardt goes down or your Orisa goes down or something like that on maybe a map like Numbani, where there's a long run back to the point, um, you could use that to, you know, as a Lucio say, hey, I'm on my way to get you and help you, you know, give you the speed boost to get back here quicker, so. There's lots of potential there. I'm excited to see what they have and and very curious to see how they they implement all of that. Um, Obviously, it's always fun to say hello, as well as uh, uh, the thank option, because, you know, those ones are just... It's good to spam thanks when you win a match, and it's good to say hello when you start a match. So, anyways, just some interesting tidbits there. Moving on from there, the next story I want to bring up is posted on dottyesports.com by Helen Lopez, and it reads like this. Boston Uprising part ways with assistant coach Ilka. Boston Uprising has said goodbye to assistant coach Ilyas Ilka Cascanedes, who will be stepping away from competitive Overwatch coaching the team announced today. Ilka joined the Uprising during the recent offseason and had previous experience as a player and coach, He was a support player beginning in 2016 through 2018 and represented Team Greece in the 2016 World Cup. He later switched to coaching and worked with several teams such as Windstrike, One Point Atlanta Academy, and Angry Titans before eventually joining the Uprising as an assistant coach. Then they have a tweet embedded in the article that is from the Boston Uprising account and says... Assistant coach at Ilka underscore OW is taking a hiatus from competitive Overwatch coaching. We wish him the best in his future and are thanking, er, and are thankful for his coaching insight in uh, this season. Now there is more to that article, so go ahead and give Helen Lopez the read um, on dot esports.com There. However, I wanted to bring that one up um, mostly because typically what I've been doing is highlighting when uh, players leave uh, teams, um, although I don't think we've seen too, too many coaches leaving teams. Um, But I wanted to bring this one up in particular because of Boston's uh, current season and how that's going. So if I pull up the standings here in the 20th bottom last place, we have the Boston Uprising with one win eight losses in a total of nine matches played. They have a record of 7 26 and 2 a map record, and a differential of minus 19. So they are far and away um, at the bottom of the league. I guess not super far because the Washington Justice has only two wins and eight losses with a total of 10 games. So they've played one more and they've won one more. But Boston has not, by any stretch of the imagination, been having a good season. Um, as I'll get into in the Overwatch recap, um, they had a fairly abysmal weekend um, playing against the Florida Mayhem this past weekend. However, it's going to be a much larger challenge for Boston going forward. Um, I think going into this past weekend, they actually had a roster of exactly six players, which is obviously the minimum you need to uh, to compete. And now losing their assistant uh, coach does not bode well for them. Um, And it'll be really interesting to see uh, if they can recover from this. Given the current state of everything, um, you know, the economy as well as um, just the socio-economic, political, whatever climate the world is in right now. um, It'll be very interesting to see if Boston, I don't want to say it, but is around a year from now. I don't think it will be incredibly surprising if we see... And as much as I hate to say it, more than one team, um, not recovering from everything that's happened this season in the league. Um, I mean, as we'll see in in another article that I'm about to cover, um, teams have been struggling certainly, um, and we see that in the contenders' league especially. However, Boston is probably the one team in the Overwatch League that we have seen struggle consistently this season with players and now coaching staff. So very interesting to see what happens with Boston's future. Um, Obviously, we don't want any teams to go kaput entirely. Um, So, you know, crossing our fingers, hoping for the best with them. Moving on, a little bit of a happier story. uh, Well, happier for some anyways. On the Overwatch League website posted by Blizzard Entertainment on April 26th, which was Sunday, we have Week 13 Hero Pool. McCree, Widowmaker, Wrecking Ball, and Mercy out of rotation. So, as I just mentioned, obviously for our hero pool uh, lock this week, we have the two DPS heroes as McCree and Widowmaker, we have the tank as Wrecking Ball, and support as Mercy. So this is probably going to affect the damage side of things the most, because McCree obviously is a mainstay and definitely one of the most often played heroes this, uh, this meta. Um, Widow not as much however obviously she was being played enough that she made it into the rankings and got pulled. Wrecking Ball I think generally is a little little less often seen however a lot more often seen um, towards the end of matches when you need to rush back to a point um, either to stall or to try and save a match Um, but I do know that uh, having watched a little bit of some of the Asian teams play now um, with some of the dive comps that they're playing um, Chengdu in particular we are seeing a little bit more wrecking balls, so you know, interesting to see him go. But ultimately, I don't think we'll see too, too much of an impact from that. And then Mercy on the uh, healing side, we had actually seen Mercy coming into play a little bit these these past weeks. Um, I mean, again, obviously she got chosen here, so she was being played enough that she showed up in the in the stats. However, I think what we typically see or have seen this season is a Lucio and Moira uh, comp, mostly because Moira builds her ult so fast, that coalescence, um, and then Lucio because he does provide that uh, sort of AoE healing, um, which obviously benefits a a team a little more. And then I think when one of those characters has been locked out because of the hero pool, that's when we typically see Mercy coming into play. I think if we're not seeing a Lucio-Moira, more often than not, a team is using an Ana, which is, you know, pretty typical of them because they have highly skilled players and that can play Ana well. And then aside from that, I think we have seen a little bit of break, but I do think Mercy is kind of, you know, if Lucio Moira is the A-line, um, then Ana is a B-line and I think Mercy is a C-line. I don't think that one will impact things too much. I think most teams have someone that can, that can cover that one, so... Ultimately, I think the biggest impact is the McCree um, with, uh, with with Widowmaker on the DPS side of things. That said, um, I'm just looking and they actually in this article have posted the previous week's um, hero pools as well. So it's interesting because if we look back to week five, the very first week, the two damage characters were McCree and Widowmaker. So again, exact same picks as this week. Other than that, Tank was Reinhardt, support was was Moira, so whatever. Week 6, matches weren't played. Week 8, Soldier and Sombra. Tank was Winston, support was Lucio. Week 9, we saw McCree again. Um, Moving on to Week 10, obviously we didn't see McCree because, you know, the same hero can't be banned two weeks in a row. Week 11, Widowmaker and McCree. And then week 12 was Tracer and Echo. And finally, week 13 is now Widowmaker and McCree. So obviously we're seeing them, re- we're seeing history repeat itself, if you will. Um, so let's see, week 5 and then week 11 was the same. Oh, but week 9 we saw McCree as well. Okay, so interesting stuff. Um, should be should be fairly impactful with McCree and Widow. Um, uh, the other two I'm not too concerned about. However, uh, it'll be exciting to see which, which heroes get played on the damage side. I think, uh, as this will be the first week that we see Echo in play in the Overwatch League, I think that it will be fun to watch Echo um, fly around and uh, wreak havoc. As I've seen online, she is definitely already able to do. Moving on from there... The other big announcement that came Sunday um, directly from the Overwatch League, and I'm reading this from OverwatchLeague.com, posted by Blizzard Entertainment, reads like this: May Madness, new schedules and tournaments coming. So this is quite an extensive post that they have here. I'm gonna read as much as as much of it as I can, and then I'll kind of try and break down break it down and make a little bit of sense out of it. So, it reads like this. We've almost reached the midpoint of the 2020 Overwatch League season, and today we're announcing a complete May schedule with all 20 teams in action and the introduction of new single elimination regional tournaments. New tournaments. During the first three weeks of May, all 20 teams will play qualifier matches, brackets three per team in North America and four in Asia. Team records, map scores, and standard tiebreakers in those qualifier matches will determine team seeding in two regional tournaments in North America, May 22nd to 24th, and Asia, May 23rd to 24th. Both tournaments have a combined US dollar $225,000 prize pool uh, with the following tiers. Tournament champions, 40002 dollars nd place teams, $20,000. Third and fourth place teams, $5,000. Each tournament win per team, $5,000 and then brackets in addition to placement prizing. The teams competing in each region for the May qualifying matches and tournaments are North America, 13 teams, Atlanta Rain, Boston Uprising, Dallas Fuel, Florida Mayhem, Houston Outlaws, Los Angeles Gladiators, Los Angeles Valiant, Paris Eternal, Philadelphia Fusion, San Francisco Shock. Toronto Defiant, Vancouver Titans, and Washington Justice, Asia, Seven Teams, Chengdu Hunters, Gangzhou Gangzhou Charge, Hangzhou Spark, London Spitfire, New York Excelsior, Shanghai Dragons, and Seoul Dynasty. Shared Tournament Rules. Hero pools suspended for all tournament matches. All heroes will be available. Matches are first to three map wins until the finals, which will be first to four maps. Higher-seeded teams pick the first map. The losing team of each map picks the next map in the series. In case of draws, the team that picked the previous map picks again. Here's the North American tournament brackets. Qualifying May 22nd, Friday. Knockouts. Game one is the 12th seed versus the 13th seed. And okay, so they have some images here of the actual breakdown of the, uh, you know, of when the games are taking place, so May 22nd, 23rd, 24th. Um, If I'm looking here, 22nd is a Friday, 23rd is Saturday, 24th is Sunday. The finals will happen, the semifinals and finals will happen on the Sunday. Moving on from there, specific rules for the North American tournament. And that is, of course, because they have 13 teams playing, um, whereas in the Asia tournament, they have seven. So the rules look like this. Qualification. The 12th versus 13th seed match does not count for prizing. And that's obviously to determine placements. Knockouts. The 5th to 7th seeds get to pick their opponent with the 5th seed selecting first. Quarterfinals. The 1 to 4 seeds get an automatic buy to this round. And the 1 to 3 seeds get to pick their opponent from advancing teams with the 1 seed selecting first. Semifinals and finals fixed matchups based on progression through the brackets and here's the Asia, Asia tournament bracket so this one actually you know just looking at the images makes a little more a little bit more sense um, just because there's so many less teams that it actually works out to be a uh, relatively clean looking bracket specific rules for Asia tournament all seven teams qualify with no qualifying ma- qualification match quarterfinals The two and three seeds get to pick their opponent, with the two seeds selecting first, semifinals and finals. Fixed matchups based on progression through the bracket, with the one seed getting an automatic buy into the semis. The May qualifier matches count in the overall season standings, but individual tournament matches do not count. However, the top four finishers in each region's tournament will earn a fixed number of bonus wins that do count in the standings towards playoff qualification. Tournament champions, three wins. Second place teams, two wins. Third and fourth place teams, one win. May schedule. Okay, I'm actually going to stop there and I'll talk about the May schedule uh, after that. So obviously there's a lot to digest there. I highly recommend you go check out this article if you just google overwatch league news you'll find the link um and it breaks it down exactly as i read it there um there's a lot going on here though obviously um interesting stuff because we're going to see you know they they've made a clear distinction between north america and asia which is great um just because of the time differences and everything it does make the the two sort of divisions um, difficult to have those teams compete against each other. So this does keep it a little more, you know, a little more excluded and in some ways, but a little more organized as well. um, Because it's hard for all these teams to play one another like this. It's, a really nice breakdown that they have with the qualification, knockouts, quarterfinals, and semifinals. Um, it really, it, you know, when they explain this on air and everything, my head was kind of swimming looking at these images and everything. I don't think uh, I forget. I think they had the uh, director of the game. It wasn't Jeff. Uh, maybe VP of the Overwatch League uh, discussing it or announcing it, and his his announcement wasn't super clear so this does lay it out a lot nicer and make things a lot more clear um, the other thing that i like about this is that it says at the end here the may qualifier matches count in the overall season standings but individual tournament matches do not count however the top four finishers in each region's tournament will earn a fixed number of bonus wins that do count in the standings towards playoff call playoffs qualification so what that says to me is that basically most of the games played in may will be normal games however when it comes to this um, the qualifier matches count in the overall season standings but the individual tournament matches don't so there will be a period of matches here where the they will only matter for tournament placement however at the same time because the top four finishers in each region's tournament do get a number of bonus wins to, that count towards playoff qualification it still kind of makes the teams keep their skin in the game, right? It gives them a reason to want to place at the top of these tournaments. Whereas if they didn't have those wins going towards, you know, the tournament champion, second place, third place, and fourth place, then it would definitely pose a question of, okay, well, why are the teams really going to try all that hard to qualify? Isn't that just going to mean they have to play more? So I like that they break it down like that. Um, So again, go check out this article if you want to see the exact breakdown rather than me just spewing it out to you I think this is really exciting though seeing as at this point in the season we are supposed to have a mid-season tournament that obviously there's no no possible way that could have happened as it was originally planned being that obviously uh, the world basically shut down because of the coronavirus and everything so it's really exciting to see this tournament uh you know coming up and kind of being a bit of an amalgamation of the plans that were likely in place before all of this happened, and uh, having to adapt to the changing landscape of which we live in. Moving on from there, uh, later on in the article, or at the end of the article, they also have the May schedule, so I'll just read that real quick. Matches leading up to the tournaments will feature a wider variety of matchups in North America, with all 13 teams now able to play each other on shared servers. Weekly hero pools will remain in effect, as will a predetermined map pool, which is set to switch to new maps as we head into week 14. Here's the week 13 to 15 schedule. Now, the reason I bring this up is because, um, and this ties into our uh, Vancouver Titans watch, which we'll cut to at the end of the show, um, but this ties into that because when they were unveiling the tournament schedule and everything they did show some of this and obviously all vancouver titans fans who as you know from my last episode are a little on edge right now noticed that the vancouver titans were first listed in the north american teams um, that will uh, play in the tournament but then also when they showed the schedule We all noticed the Vancouver Titans listed, I believe, uh, once, twice, three, four times. No less than four times on the schedule. I believe it's exactly four times on the schedule. And that would be twice in week 14, twice in week 15, none in week 13, which is obviously this upcoming weekend. So I won't go too much into that right now, um, just because I'll talk about that in the Vancouver Titans watch, of course. But... It was interesting, and we all kind of perked up a little bit when we saw that. Moving on from there. As I mentioned, that was a bit of a long one. This next one, um, not so long. I will give the article a full read, however. Um, It's from Pedro Perez at dot esports.com. But go ahead and give him the read because it is very uh, nicely comprehensive, and that's actually why I want to read it. Um, I don't have too much input on this one, but uh, obviously it's a bit of a bit of a sad article. So it reads like this. Team Envy drops out of Overwatch Contenders. Team Envy won't be a part of Overwatch Contenders anymore. The organization disbanded its Contenders roster last night and became the latest in a line of teams to give up on their lineup for the competition. Today we part ways with our Contenders team, Envy said. Former DPS Stefan Onigod Fisker Strand, confirmed that the organization doesn't plan to rebuild. The team had great success in the contender scene. In 2019, Envy were the champion of both seasons of the tournament and landed a second-place finish in the Atlantic Showdown, which pits organizations from North America, Europe, and South America against each other in a gauntlet. Envy follows a long list of organizations that have dropped their contenders teams over the past year. The Overwatch League's San Francisco Shock disbanded its academy team, Energy Esports early in 2019, followed by the Florida Mayhem's Mayhem Academy. The New York Excelsior also squelched its XL2 Academy lineup in November 2019, and the Los Angeles Gladiators gave up on the Gladiators Legion late in 2019. The casualties continued in 2020 after the Atlanta Reigns' ATL Academy went on hiatus quote, until further notice in March, and the Toronto Defiant disbanded its Academy team, the Montreal Rebellion, earlier this month. Chinese Contenders also didn't escape unscathed with the Chengdu Hunters and Guangzhou Charge both disbanding their academy teams. Although Envy has dropped out of Contenders, its players have banded together to create Team Doge, a six-man squad that has its sights on the next season of the Contenders series. So again, you know, I personally, I've never watched any, well, I've watched a tiny bit of Contenders, but I've not followed Contenders at all. But regardless, it's obviously very sad to hear about all these closures. Um, I know I reported on the uh, closure of the Montreal Rebellion. I think that was last week. So, you know, you hate to see it happen because obviously it doesn't bode well for the future of the Overwatch League um, when all of the uh, sort of farm teams and development teams are uh, collapsing upon each other. However, hopefully we will see a brighter future soon. Moving on from there. Now, I know the the May tournament the May Madness tournament and schedules was a big, big article and a big deal and a huge announcement for the league. Moving on from that, though, we have arguably an even larger announcement. Now, when the May tournament and schedule was announced on Sunday, I thought, wow, that was a great, uh, great announcement. And, you know, there's a lot to dive into there. And I can't wait to record to dive into that. Last night, which would have been Monday, April 27th, I did plan to record and I just didn't get around to it because life got in the way. And now that this news has broke today, I'm very glad that I didn't record yesterday because this news uh, honestly could warrant its own entire show. I'll read you the article from dot posted by everyone's favorite Liz Richardson and it reads like this. Sinatra retires from Overwatch, reportedly moving to Valorant. Even the greatest of legacies come to an end. Overwatch DPS player Sinatra is leaving the San Francisco Shock, the 2019 championship team announced today. Sinatra was last year's Overwatch League MVP, leading the San Francisco Shock to a grand finals win against the Vancouver Titans. The announcement from the san francisco shock follows a report from espn esports that sinatra is leaving the competitive overwatch scene to pursue a pro career in valorant espn reports that he'll sign with sentinels the former owner of the los angeles gladiators sinatra was one of the youngest players to an overwatch signed to an overwatch league team when the san francisco shock acquired him at the age of 17 when the league first began after an impressive performance at the 2017 overwatch world cup The rumors of his large salary led to the nickname Mr. k He was ineligible to play in the Overwatch League until he turned 18 midway through the first season. The San Francisco Shock didn't have a stellar first season in the Overwatch League, but came back with a vengeance in 2019. Sinatra played multiple damage and tank heroes across various metas, earning him the title of 2019 Overwatch League MVP. Sinatra made a statement on Twitter about his choice to leave the Overwatch scene, and thanked his teammates on the San Francisco Shock. Now let me just see if I can actually pull up his Twitter there. Uh, Wow, okay. This is a very long thing that he wrote. I actually haven't read this. However, I'll go ahead and give it a read right now. So this was posted by Sinatra and it reads like this. I'm just gonna jump straight into why I retired and talk about my teammates. Straight up just lost passion for the game. IDK what the real killer was for me but maybe it was 222 lock maybe it was bands, I'm not sure, dot dot dot. I just know it was hard for me to log on to play, and I didn't have fun in scrim slash ranked at all anymore. I did not make this decision in one day. It took a full month of non-stop thinking every day and sleepless nights from being so stressed. It fucking sucked, but ultimately I wanted to do what's right for me. I want to thank NRG slash Shock and OWL for giving me a chance and making my dreams come true. Brackets, shout out Andy, Brett, Jamie, Hart last thing i just want to say sorry to all my fans fans of owl and everyone on shock in the past month i did not give overwatch slash owl my all and it showed in scrims and even in owl so i'm sorry and then in all caps he says sorry if that was ass i suck at this talking about my teammates now so you can leave if you want violet i tease you a lot but that's because i know you are really good and i actually mean that i don't want your ego to get too big but you're the best zen slash anna and then in brackets and all caps really i will never forget after we won season two and i gave you the fattest hug also i won't forget you kissing me three times in korea smile good luck minky you're the best flex support i know but don't have ego ugly fucking kid striker when you first joined shock i really thought i would hate you but turns out i fucking loved you and i loved playing with you as my dps duo You are so good at everything you do, brackets, tracer, reaper, mccree, widow. And if you keep try really, keep try hard, I, all caps, really think you will get MVP. Also, you're the most handsome and funny in OWL. Smiley face, 1v1 me, Valorant, really easy. Rascal, gonna miss the random ass talks we had about our girlfriends, explaining sports to you, shows all white the gym. You are funny as fuck, and I'm glad I got to meet you and call you my friend. Also, you are the best on shock because you won at Star Wars Duel of the Fates 1v1 Champion at Rascal, hashtag ad. Architect, going to miss you so much, Minho. You are the most positive person I have ever met in my life. All season two and three, when I'm down, you always cheer me up because you're so happy all the time. Every team needs you, and you helped me through a lot. I really believe if you practice hard, you can be the best flex DPS in the game, 100%, all caps. Practice for me, Minho. I will message you throughout OWL. I love you, man. Choi, wow, this is this is quite long. Okay, now that I'm reading through this, I realize he's literally just talking about all of his, all of his uh, players and teammates and everything that he's uh, that he's worked with, everyone that he's worked with. So I won't bother reading that on air. You can go find that if you really want to, um, but. This article also has an embedded tweet from the San Francisco Shock saying, he came, he saw, and he conquered. Thank you and best of luck in your future endeavors at Sinatra and a picture of Sinatra. So obviously no secret here that they are saying goodbye to him, which is a part of why this was so interesting when it broke today. Um, I definitely, when I was originally reading about it, I had thought that it was... A rumor. I thought it was a surprise. And then seeing the San Francisco Shock Twitter account tweet about it obviously confirms that no, he is in fact leaving. Um, The part that I think is yet to be confirmed is the Valorant piece, which is what makes this truly, truly interesting. Now, for those of you that don't know, although I don't know how you wouldn't know if you're a fan of Overwatch, you've probably heard of Valorant at this point. But Valorant is sort of the, I guess, latest uh, hit streamer game um, coming from Riot Games, the same company that made League of Legends and is really, it's a, sorry, it's a first person sort of, uh, ability based, uh, shooter. Um, it really appears when you watch it to be going after the CSGO market with a hint or a dash of Overwatch as well. Um, you know, I've watched a lot of streamers, I've read a lot of stuff about it and I personally do think it looks very fun. What I've read is that, you know, it is, um, It's a lot less focused on the heroes. It is a lot more focused on the Counter-Strike side of it, which is where the competitive side comes from. And then the hero abilities sort of layer on top of that, which makes it different, obviously, from Overwatch, where Overwatch is very focused on not so much the... Um, shooting aspects or the, you know, kind of first person aspects, it's more focused on the individual heroes and the builds that they have, the, the compositions that you make when you put those heroes together. Valorant is a lot more of a sort of traditional first person shooter with these crazy abilities on top, whereas Overwatch is a crazy ability 6v6 game kind of thing. So the other side of that is that obviously Valorant isn't i think even technically out of beta yet if i'm not mistaken um the way riots released it is you know they released it to streamers and if you watch streamers they earn drops and that can get you an invite into the valorant beta where you can then play and obviously they're still testing and tweaking things Um, beyond that though the question has to be asked obviously reading uh sinatra's post there his his twitter rant thing he obviously says that his heart hasn't been in the game, and he's not sure why. It sounds to me like this has been a while in the making, and maybe Valorant has sort of captured some of, some of that energy in him. That said, it does seem odd if it's been that long that he hasn't been enjoying himself, that this is only coming up now. Obviously, in the past few weeks uh, in the Overwatch League, we haven't been seeing Sinatra play, and I had been questioning that. Um, I know on a couple of my episodes, I said, "You know, why aren't they? Why aren't they doing that? Are they trying to make him take more of a leadership role or something to that extent?" Uh, well, it sounds like that's definitely not the case. Overall, I suspect that looking at you know the report that this is uh, sentinels and everything that are maybe pursuing him or that he may be leaving them for i suspect that a yes money was a large part of it i suspect sentinels eyed him probably watched him stream a bit and likely approached him and said look at the current state of overwatch which Although, you know, I personally love the game and if you're listening to this, chances are you love the game and there's obviously a large audience out there um, with the Overwatch League and everything. I suspect that they approached him and they said, look at the current state of Overwatch. You know, it's an aging game. It came out in 2016. Almost four years ago it came out, actually. Um, Overwatch 2 is somewhere on the horizon, but we don't really know how far. As well as if you compare Blizzard's um, competitive esports offerings to that of Riot Games, which currently only has a few properties. However, Riot is re- Riot and League of Legends is really the one of the major contributors to building esports as a sort of genre. So I suspect there were a lot of conversations about a how much Sinatra makes in the Overwatch League and how much he could make with an organization like Sentinels. Um, but then B, I suspect there was also a conversation around the future of overwatch and blizzard and the future of obviously Valorant and riot because riot, although they were in the news, maybe within a year, maybe a couple of years, um, for some not so savory things. Um, but they obviously have the secret sauce when it comes to competitive online esports. So, Overall, this is a very interesting thing. Um, I'm looking forward to hearing more about this. Hopefully we will get more insight into maybe conversations that went on in the background and things like that. However, I wouldn't, wouldn't necessarily hold my breath, but it'll be interesting to see If, in fact, Sinatra does end up over there. And if he has the same impact over uh, in another game that he has had in Overwatch. Because I think there was no denying last year. You know, obviously, my favorite team is the Vancouver Titans. Obviously, the San Francisco Shock beat the Vancouver Titans more than once. Um, But regardless of that, I do think that Sinatra was far and away the MVP of the season. Um, If you looked at his consistency, if you looked at his um, flex and his play across multiple different characters and not only multiple different characters, but multiple different roles on a team. Um, as that article points out, you know, he was able to play damage. He was able to play a lot of damage characters really well. He was able to play a lot of tank characters really well. And that's actually what we saw a little more of him doing this past, uh, um, season already was playing the the more tank characters. So, um, you know, it'll be very interesting to see, where he lands and how things turn out as well as it'll be interesting to see once overwatch two comes, uh, finally comes out or gets a release date or anything like that. If he does gravitate back towards overwatch, um, because who knows, that's a possibility as well. So anyways, very, very interesting stuff. And, oh, the point I was making is that, uh, Sinatra was clearing away the MVP of last season. Um, it was well-deserved, well-deserved and well-earned, but, obviously a big shakeup with him leaving. Um, The other obvious elephant in the room is what happens to the San Francisco Shock. Now, I think that's less of a question mark because these past few weeks, we haven't been seeing Sinatra play with them. So obviously, that kind of says, well, you know, they might just be okay without him. That said, I've talked a lot on this show as well, about how I felt like the San Francisco Shock we were seeing weren't the same San Francisco shock that we had seen last season. They didn't feel as cohesive. They didn't feel like they were as much of a unit. And I suspect a lot of that is because of this, who knows how much they really knew as players or even the staff. However, when you're down sort of one of your star players, um, it definitely has an effect on, on people. So really big deal. Um, and really interesting to see what happens going forward. Now that it's all out in the open, I do wonder if we will see a bit of, bit of more of a change from the San Francisco shock. Um, and then of course there's also the question of, well, San Francisco has a lot of LA and LA in their T in their, uh, schedule lately. So once things change on that front, will we see a bit more of a change now? That was a very long article. And that was a lot of jammering, yammering, whatever that I just did. Hopefully, you're able to follow that. Um, hopefully, that all made sense. If, if you have questions for me or thoughts on uh, what exactly has happened with Sinatra and all of that, reach out to me, tweet at me at SirDRJM on Twitter. Moving on from there, that is all of the news that I have for this week. Now, that is probably the largest news section on the show I've done. I don't think I've ever talked for 45 minutes about the news usually the owl recap and the look at the upcoming schedule um the owl flying at you segment is usually what takes up sort of the latter half of the show and oftentimes the back three quarters of the show but i'm not going to make this episode too too long because i also want to go to bed because it's late but i will get into the owl recap briefly here now Looking at week 12, um, we had some good matchups. I know I talked on last episode, I was looking forward to actually a number of matches this past weekend. That said, I actually got a little busy and didn't end up watching as many matches as I wanted to, or didn't end up watching them as closely as I wanted to. But let's dive right in there and start with our first match on Saturday, April 25th. The matchup was the Seoul Dynasty versus the Hangzhou Spark, and of course this was an exciting one because this was the Seoul Dynasty returning to play after a few weeks hiatus, um, so it was overall really exciting to see them back. I did catch some of the replay on this one because I wanted to see Soul play, however I actually, the match I was more excited to see Soul play in was the Sunday matchup against the Shanghai Dragons, which they had, so I actually watched more of that match, but Anyways, I'll give you the quick breakdown of this game. It went 3-0 in favor of the Seoul Dynasty with a clean sweep of Map 1 Busan going 2-0 to Seoul, Map 2 on Volskaya Industries going 3-2 for Seoul, and Map 3 being Dorado going 3-1 for Seoul. So a fairly clean sweep there. Um, I'm sure Seoul fans were excited to see that because uh, that looks like a fairly decisive win there. Moving on from there, second game, Saturday, April 25th, was the Gangzhou charge against the Shanghai Dragons. And again, it was another 3 0 stomping by the Shanghai Dragons. So Shanghai taking it 3 0. The maps broke down like this Lijiang Tower went 2 1 to Shanghai. Uh, second map was again Volskaya and went two to one to Shanghai. And the final map was Rialto and it actually went one and oh for Shanghai. So it looks to me like Gangsao actually put up quite the defense on that third map. Um, if they were able to only allow Shanghai one point, however, obviously once it flipped and Shanghai was on the defense, they were able to hold up an even stronger, uh, defense against the Gangsao charge. The third match was the 6 a.m. for me match of the New York XL against the Chengdu Hunters. This match actually on Saturday when I did get up, I put it on, kind of had it on in the background and caught a little bit of it because I wanted to see the New York Excelsior return to play. And I obviously wanted to see Janu and uh, in in all his glory returning to the game because he's always exciting. Not Janu, sorry, Jonak. Um, and again, it was an exciting match. Um... You know, everyone on New York looking quite strong from, you know, Libero to Sabiolbi. Hotba looked really good at times. Um, So overall, just an impressive showing from New York and a disappointing showing for Chengdu. It was, I think I mentioned this already, 3-0 for New York. And it went like this. On map one, Oasis, we had a 2-0 for New York. Map two on Paris, we had a 2-0 for New York. And finally, map three on Dorado, we had a 3-0 for New York. So very decisive win by New York. Not that I would ever really say that was in question. I think New York was the obvious pick in that matchup. However, um, you know, New York had been on a bit of a hiatus, so it was an interesting one. It could have, you know, maybe they were rusty or something. Obviously they weren't, so moving on. The next matchup of the day, the first one at a reasonable time for me, was the Atlanta Rain facing off the, against the Philadelphia Fusion. I was looking forward to this match as well because, as I had mentioned on my last episode, Philly was sitting right near the top. I think they were only below Seoul at the time um, in the standings. And the Atlanta Rain were sitting about 5th or 6th, I believe, if I'm not mistaken. So looking at that matchup, um, Philadelphia wound up taking it 3-0. and oh. So I'll give you the breakdown and then I'll go into the rounds a little bit because this match was not, uh, certainly not as decisive a win as the 3-0 score might lead you to believe. So round one was Nepal and Philly did take it 2-0. So coming out of the gate strong, um, Philly did look really good. It definitely looked like, um, they were outplaying Atlanta almost at every turn. Um, Carpe, you know, matching baby bay on, uh, on the, um, what's it called? What's it called? What's it called? The Ash. Um, definitely looking good there. Um, being able to pick off Erster at times and things like that. Um, Philly looked like they were really strong starting things off, but moving on from there, we went to Volskaya for map two, and it actually went six to four for Philly in, in favor of Philly, obviously. So again, you know, this is what I'm kind of talking about here, where I say that, 3-0 three and O score really didn't reflect the strong showing that Atlanta had. Atlanta did really fight for those wins. It looked a lot at times like Atlanta could take it, um, especially when Atlanta was, uh, you know, the first one on attack. It was very much like, oh, you know, they had a really good attack and then Philly would go and Philly would have a better attack and then Atlanta would go and they would get another point and then Philly would go and they would get two. And it was like, wow, it was, it was a really exciting match to see, um, with Atlanta really stretching themselves. I think, um, it's, it's almost too bad they didn't get at least one round because it looks like I say, it looks a lot more like Philly outplayed them which, I mean, to be fair, Philly did, but Atlanta definitely stronger than the 3-0 and shows. Um, the third map as well um, kind of ties into that. It was uh, Rialto, and it actually went 5-4 for Philly. So again, Atlanta really being able to push it right to the end and sort of give it their all. So definitely an enjoyable one there, um, with Philly taking the win in the end. Moving on from there, we had the San Francisco Shock playing against... Wouldn't you know it? The Los Angeles Valiant again. And San Francisco 3-0 the LAV. Map one was Ilios and it went 2-0 to San Francisco. Map two was Hanamura and it went four to three for San Francisco. And map three was Route 66, which went three to two in favor of San Francisco. Now again, this is uh this kind of ties into what I was what I was mentioning before. Obviously, San Francisco is still looking very dominant um if we look at the standings right now they're sitting in fifth place with five wins and two losses um you know a pretty comfortable fifth place with with the two losses i don't really think they have to worry about anyone else in the schedule right now passing them that said they've got a bit of work ahead of them to move up in the in the rankings um especially with you know teams that look really good like philadelphia shanghai and new york as well we'll talk about shortly um that said again San Francisco, because of the current state of everything, they just keep on playing these LA teams and they just keep on beating them. So the schedule is a little bit in their favor. Although I'm not trying to, you know, be an LA apologist or anything like that. I think it doesn't matter what your bias is. You have to admit that San Francisco getting to match up against the, both the LA teams seemingly every weekend, um, does lean in San Francisco's favor. So Moving on from there, the Sunday matches were the first one was the Hangzhou Spark against the Chengdu Hunters, and in this case, the Hangzhou Spark managed to come up with the win, and the map broke down. Match broke down like this. Map one actually went to Chengdu. Um, they had a good start. I didn't watch this one, but it looks like they had a good start on Li Tower, where they took it two to one. But then after that, Hangzhou took the next three rounds going Paris 3-2, Route 66 3-0, and Hollywood 3-0. So good job Hangzhou Spark. And that leaves them actually climbing the ranking slowly in 13th place with four wins and five losses. The Chengdu Hunters, on the other hand, sitting in 17th with three wins and seven losses. Um, Only ahead of the LA Valiant, Washington Justice, and the Boston Uprising right now. Moving on from there, the next game on Sunday was the Shanghai Dragons against the Seoul Dynasty. So this one, I think uh, in my last episode, I don't remember if I did end up choosing this one, but I might have called this match of the weekend because this was a big deal. Um, The two sort of undefeated teams of the the season, if I'm not mistaken. I think Shanghai was undefeated at the time. I could be wrong. Um, But regardless... Shanghai looking very strong. Seoul looking very strong going into this. Seoul being the one that had potential to, you know, drop because they might be a little rusty having not played in a while. But with their Saturday game against Hangzhou, obviously they took that 3-0. So who knows? You know, going into this match, it was uh, it was looking good for both teams. Shanghai managed to pull out the win 3-0. So the rounds went like this. 2-0 on Oasis for Shanghai. 2-1. On Hanamura for Shanghai and 1-0 on Rialto for Shanghai so looking at that scoreboard um, again I didn't actually end up catching this match and I did not put it on the replay or anything like that but Shanghai definitely strong showing um, you know coming out strong and taking out a team that I think everyone was looking forward to seeing return and looking forward to seeing just how strong they might be Shanghai knocking them down a peg Currently, looking at the standings, Shanghai's in second with eight and one, only behind the Philadelphia Fusion with nine and one. Seoul Dynasty is now sitting in fourth, with three and one. So Seoul obviously has the advantage of not having played nearly as many games as the other teams in the top ten, with the exception of the Vancouver Titans, who have also only played four matches. So, moving on from there, the early AM, six AM, I believe, Sunday match was the Gangsao Charge versus the New York Excelsior. And again, New York coming up with another win, 3-0 yet again. This time, a little more even. Um, Map 1 on Busan went 2-0 to New York. Map 2 on Paris went 3-2 for New York. And Map 3 on Route 66 went 3-2 for New York. So again, New York showing some dominance. Um, You know, with New York now playing in that Asia region, Um, It'll be interesting because I think, you know, previously we had seen, obviously, Shanghai just kind of steamrolling over some of these teams. Um, Whereas now that we've got Seoul back in the mix, and now that we've potentially got New York in the mix, it's definitely looking exciting and looking good. Um, Like we might have a little bit more of some even matchups. If we get to see Shanghai playing New York, that could be very exciting because uh, obviously both two, two very strong, two very very dominant teams right now. Um, so it'd be exciting to see them play. Now that we've seen the Shanghai Dragons and the Seoul Dynasty play, it'd be exciting to see them have a rematch as well because, you know, Seoul, again, could have still been a little rusty even though they managed to beat out the Hangzhou Spark. Um, same could be said about New York, but obviously they won both their matches this weekend. So moving on from there, the next Sunday game was the low-seeded Florida Mayhem against the even lower-seeded Boston Uprising. And uh, this match I did catch... And this match was an interesting one. Um, Florida Mayhem taking it 3-0. And Florida looking clean as clean could be. I don't think there was any point in this match where you would have thought Florida struggled. Looking at this match, you would have thought Florida was one of the top, top teams. They looked so clean. They came in, they... what I don't know. They, they came, they saw, they cleaned up, they left. That was it they decimated these guys now on map three it was dorado it actually did go three to two the other maps were both two and oh for florida and then one and oh for florida so honestly looking at this match i remember thinking wow you would think florida is a top team if if you didn't know any better so this was an interesting one um again they i mean they were playing against the bottom bottom team but it's not like florida is super high in the stand or was super high in the standings either looking at the standings now because of this win, Florida now sits at 4-4 and is actually in 9th place. Prior to this, I think they were in, uh, I want to say 13-15. to I could be wrong there. But anyways, I like Florida, so I like seeing them win. So that was a good, good match to watch. Final match of the weekend on Sunday was the Battle of Texas. We saw the Houston Outlaws taking on the Dallas Fuel um you know Dallas fuels uh i think they returned the week before so really exciting to see them coming back this weekend as well um and especially to take on the Houston outlaws now looking at the standings Dallas was i think bottom 5 and Houston was also bottom 5 i believe they had one one spot separating them um this really was a must win for both teams however Dallas obviously you know with having something to show or uh something to prove sorry not something to show uh dallas having something to prove um coming off last weekend where they returned to play and had a really good showing against san francisco even though they lost um, it was really good to see dallas coming in and winning this one three to two match went like this map one on ilios went two to one to dallas map two on volskaya went one and oh to houston map three on route 66 went one and oh to dallas map four on eichenwald went three to two for houston and finally map five on oasis went two to one to dallas now the interesting thing about this match this is probably the match i actually watched the closest of all the matches this weekend again i didn't actually watch many matches this past weekend very closely but this one would probably be the award You know houston definitely looking pretty good um dante looking good you know uh jesse looking very good um but i think dallas just looked that much tighter that much cleaner um they really managed to counter houston whereas i don't think houston was able to do the same i think dallas was able to look at what houston was doing and say okay we need to change something we need to adapt to best them and houston when they were down it didn't really seem like that it seemed like they were just kind of down so Good to see Dallas get the win there. That leaves Dallas in 14th place with three and four and bumps Houston down to 16th place with four and seven. So overall, not a ton of movement on the standings for both of them, um, but definitely a must win for both teams. So Dallas getting the win moves up slightly, Houston not getting a win. Can't remember if they've, if that's no change for them or if they did move down in that position, but obviously these bottom 10 teams all really trying to claw their way out of the bottom 10. Um, and they're all kind of sitting at a record of, you know, if you look at that 11th to 17th spot, they're all kind of three or four wins, but with more losses than that. Those last couple teams, last handful of teams are only one or two wins, but you know, position 17 through 11 are all, three or four wins so all those teams are really fighting for any win they can get right now because if they can manage to get one more win they could easily move into the top 10 there Um, Vancouver is sitting comfortably in the 10th position right now with a record of two and two but that obviously is mostly because they haven't been playing a lot so anyways that is the current standing or current well yeah current standings um and current a look at the previous week week 12 of the overwatch league now the current standings which is what i was trying to spit out before um i just want to read through the top five here top five number one is the philadelphia fusion nine and one number two shanghai dragons eight and one number three new york excelsior seven and one number four is the seoul dynasty three and one and number five is the san francisco shock with five and two so what you see from that 10 to 5 range is they all have more than one loss, whereas that those top four teams all only have one loss there. Um, San Francisco in fifth place has two. So interesting stuff there, just seeing how that all breaks down. Moving on from there, uh, normally in the show, this is the part where... Oh, I almost forgot. I got to do my big winners, big losers. Okay, big winners of the past weekend, Shanghai Dragons again 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 because they are now sitting in second place um with a record of eight and one and the new york XL. so really good to see them returning to play and uh being so dominant obviously now big losers a couple teams that were starting to see repeats in the big losers category chengdu hunters and gangzao spark so um gangzao charge sorry so you know tough losses for them big wins for the other teams now What I was going to say is this is normally the part where I do the segment that I like to call Owl Flying Atcha, where we look at the upcoming week's Overwatch League games. Um, I will run through them very quickly, but I haven't decided yet how detailed I want to be. I'm deciding on the fly here. I'm looking at my papers and I'm flipping through them, so you'll probably hear that. Okay, I know that was a long pause. I'll run through the games here that are upcoming this weekend, and then I will touch on some of the stuff that I want to when it comes to the Vancouver Titans watch 2020. So this upcoming weekend starts with Saturday, May 2nd, we have the gangs out charge facing against the Sol, facing off against the Seoul Dynasty. After that we have the New York Excelsior facing off against the Shanghai Dragons. There you go. That's the matchup I was just saying I wanted to see. So that's awesome. Um, Hopefully Saturday morning I'll get up and I'll be able to put that match on and catch some of the the replay. Um, Who do I think will win there is a really good question. I Honestly, I really don't have a pick. I have no idea how that'll go. And mostly that's because New York has been on hiatus for so long. Obviously, they came out strong this past weekend. But how strong are they really when faced with a more together opponent i don't know how to f- how to how to phrase that really when new york faces an opponent that can match their skill i think will it'll be really interesting to see who comes out on top anyways moving on from there we have the dallas field facing off against the washington justice also on saturday um that one must win for both teams obviously washington sitting very low in the standings and dallas climbing them shortly or quickly i guess so fingers crossed for dallas there uh second Uh, second afternoon game on saturday is the los angeles valiant against the atlanta rain um i'm gonna put my money on atlanta for that one the final game on saturday is the houston outlaws against the san francisco shock so finally getting to see san francisco play a team other than la although i do believe they have played houston before and uh yeah they yeah money's on san francisco there Moving on to Sunday, we have the Seoul Dynasty taking on the Hangzhou Spark. We then have the Chengdu Hunters taking on the New York Excelsior. We then, the first afternoon game for me, we have the Philadelphia Fusion taking on the Paris Eternal, which in the last matchup when we had that, um, did, if I'm not mistaken, go the way of the Philadelphia Fusion. However, Paris had a really strong showing, so that'll be an exciting game. Hopefully, uh, I think it's a rematch, so hopefully Paris has something up their sleeve to take that one on. The second afternoon game there, we see the Florida Mayhem once again taking on the Boston Uprising. Hopefully, Florida looks as clean as they did before, and especially against a team with uh, struggling with teammates and coaching staff, obviously. I think Boston will, no offense to them, but likely be in shambles. And finally the final game in the afternoon on Sunday is the Toronto defiant against the Los Angeles gladiators. Now that one could be an interesting one. Um, only because those two teams are placed 11th and 12th right now, Los Angeles gladiators are ahead with three and three Toronto defiant are in 12th with four and five. So, It'll be interesting to see who comes out on top there. I really don't know which team I'm going to cheer for because, as we all know, I like the Los Angeles Gladiators and I am a closeted Toronto fan as a good Canadian boy. Um, but, And that said, actually, interesting stuff. Uh, for who plays for the Toronto Defiant last season, played for the Los Angeles Gladiators. So I'm going to hope that Toronto comes out strong. Um, that's what I'll say. I'm going to hope that Toronto wins, honestly. And that's your look at the next week in the Overwatch League this coming week. So that brings me normally to the end of my show. However, this time around, I wanna to quickly touch on the Vancouver Titans Watch 2020. That's our breaking news. Um, uh, you can hear me flipping through pages again. I don't really know why I'm flipping through these pages because I'm not actually going to read any of this stuff. However, I just wanted to get grab myself a quick recap on what happened. So long story short, um, as I mentioned at the end of last show, the Vancouver Titans have had some controversy lately um with obviously a couple disappointing showings um when they returned to play. And it has since come out that there may have been a lot of drama between players and coaching staff who all relocated back to South Korea and the upper management and ownership of the team, um, which is the Vancouver, no, not Vancouver, the Canucks Sport Entertainment something, something, something. It's the Canucks organization um, based out of Vancouver. So call it a difference of ideologies, call it a difference of um, whatever else you want to call it. There's a lot of rumors floating around out there right now that the two sides of the organization have been not quite in uh, perfect harmony as we might hope and because of that it's been causing a lot of tension amongst the players coaching and management the rumor the latest rumor that i've heard is that when we next see the vancouver titans playing in may which as we know i think is the weekend of the 8th and 9th or sorry 9th 10th i should say 9th 10th yep that's when they're scheduled next and the rumor is that if they do in fact play which they're on the schedule, so they must be, we may not see the same team playing at all. Um, What supposedly happened last time when they played was they didn't have a facility, they didn't have anything organized, so most of the players were playing out of their homes, Um, there were some internet issues, lag issues, things like that, which is why they had such a disappointing showing. Now, I'm not blaming at all on that, this is just the rumors that I've heard, but Overall, it was a disappointing showing and supposedly there was a lot of stress from players being at home and having to deal with all these other issues. Obviously, there's a bit of a culture divide there between the Canadian um, Connects division or organization and the South Korean culture that uh, most of the players and coaching staff do have. Um, overall, I would just say we wish them all the best and we hope that things can get sorted out and everyone can be in the best situation they can be in. In order for them to succeed, Um, I would be very disappointed if we saw all of the current um, Vancouver Titans not coming back to play. If that is what happens, I'm very curious to see the repercussions of that. If they end up, you know, getting traded away or something like that, or if, you know, an organization can literally just have two rosters or something like that. I don't know how all that works, but overall, it'll be very interesting to see what happens with the Vancouver Titans my Vancouver Titans. Um, It obviously makes me very sad to see because they were my favorite team and, you know, the team that I was the most behind. And I wanted to see them succeed. So they're currently sitting comfortably in 10th place. So we will have to wait until, I believe, May 9th to see them return to play. And with that, that is the end of my show. So this was episode 13 of one man watch point and overwatch podcast i am sir dr jm you can find me on twitter you can find me on instagram at sir dr you can follow me you can tweet at me you can send me a message you can whatever and i'll hopefully do something with that but more hopefully you'll reach out to me and give me some content You can find this podcast on Apple Podcast Services as well as Google Podcast Services as well as Spotify and hopefully every other podcast service out there. If you find that it's not on something you want it on, reach out to me and I'll see about getting it on there. Um, This has been episode 13 of One Man Watchpoint, an Overwatch podcast.